Welcome back to the show, Chef. If screaming in the walk-in isn't cutting it anymore, then it's time to talk about it. You know, you're not alone. 63% of food and beverage and hospitality professionals suffer from depression. 84% of food and beverage and hospitality workers feel stress from their job. 65% of food and beverage and hospitality workers report using substances at work. 53% of food and beverage and hospitality workers feel they've been pushed to their breaking point. That's why today I'm so happy to talk to um, Jasmine and Aaron from chow.org. Because if you're feeling something that you can't share with coworkers, family, or friends, and you want to meet with industry folks and talk about what's working and what isn't in your life, and if you're just feeling lonely, then Chow is the place to be. I went there to, uh, I attended a Monday meeting and did a Zoom presentation uh, and, you know, ended up breaking down because uh, the vulnerability and the transparency of the conversation was such that I felt like I had to go there, uh, not to please anybody else, but uh, because I really needed to just let it out. And it was such a great experience for me that I continue to go back. So I'm really happy um, to be able to talk to both of these women who've been such a force in the hospitality industry in bringing mental health awareness uh, to the forefront, and they're doing things on the ground that actually matter. And if you're looking for somewhere to be yourself completely and finally let it all out, if nothing else except to just get it out of your body, then Chow is the place to be. And we're going to get to all that and more right after these messages. This is Chef Life Radio, and I'm your host, Chef Adam Lamb. I'm a culinary career coach dedicated to assisting hospitality professionals just like you to enjoy their careers without having to sacrifice their lives. I coach chefs on leadership, communication, culture, and relationship mastery. If you've lost your passion, purpose, or drive, you either want to move up or out, then let's connect. Book a discovery call by going to cheflifecoaching.com forward slash services. The link is in the show notes. Now let's get to the good stuff. Ladies, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I know we've got a lot to talk about. Aaron, Jazz, uh, welcome, Chef Life Radio. Thank you. We're so excited to be here. Now, for those folks who may not necessarily be as familiar with your organization as they should be, you guys are currently in uh, based out of Denver, Colorado, correct? That's where we started, yep. And when you say where you started, does that mean it's grown from that space? We are all over Colorado, and we went accidentally international <laughs> when uh, when um, COVID shut things down. So we were the only group that I know of doing peer support uh, meetings. And so we've got folks calling in from Saskatchewan, Portugal, and then all over the nation. But yeah, we're mostly focused on Colorado currently. And Jasmine, could you give our listeners kind of the thumbnail mission statement for Chow? This is one of my uh, biggest challenges <laughs> in remembering it word for word. Uh, but the gist of it is basically that we want to support wellness, mental health, and recovery from substance misuse in our community, specifically the food, beverage, and hospitality community. And we do that through shared skills, stories, and resources. Perfect. Now, Aaron, it seems to me that during, I, wanna, I don't even want to say during the pandemic, but 
it seemed like right after the shutdown, there was, uh, and everybody was making the huge exodus, as everybody called it, the great resignation, or I refer to it as the great reset. Then all of a sudden it became very, very popular to uh, run stories and talk to uh, hospitality professionals about uh, mental health and wellness. But your organization started before then, correct? We did. We started in 2018. Our founder had gone through a 12-step program and re-entered the hospitality industry and was getting a lot of congratulations for making that transition back into it. And he said, you know, I don't, I don't need the attaboys. What I, what I really want is to see change in the industry. So he decided to have uh, set up a meeting where people could come and talk about their experiences and um, their emotions and stuff that we don't talk about at work. For better or worse, the meeting was scheduled two days after Anthony Bourdain's death. So what could have been two or three people in a room ended up being closer to 35 they stayed for a few hours and talked, and thus Chow was created. They realized that it wasn't a one-time meeting deal. It was something that was going to have, have to happen frequently. And it's unfortunate that it took the death of Anthony Bourdain to kind of put this front and center for a lot of folks, because after 30 years in the industry, I know that this is something that we've been struggling with for a very, very long time. And I harken back to my days in South Florida where, you know, two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, I'm headed home after the bar, uh, listening to the radio. And that's when you hear the uh, clean and sober hour. <laughs> and I thought, man, they know their market, don't they? Because like, who else would be listening to this? <laughs> and just hammered it enough to go, hmm, maybe this is not the best way for me to be dealing with the stress. Can you give us an idea about some of the some of the support systems that Chow has been able to put into place? We have uh, group discussion meetings six times a week. The meetings are led by someone we call an expo who has lived experience with mental health or and or substance use disorder. They also have some training in how to help facilitate a group meeting and are able to offer additional resources. So if somebody comes in and discloses to us that they're having trouble paying their rent or uh, they paid their rent and now they won't have enough money for groceries, we can get them set up to have that, that need met. I started going to the meetings because I wanted to tell people about them. I wanted to help people. I was like, I don't need this. But once I start them, people will, who need them will, will find out how great they are. <laughs> Once I started going to meetings, when right. I miss a week, I miss that contact. I miss that community. I miss that, that the place that I can put some of the more challenging emotions, whether they're good or bad. Sometimes you don't want to share the good stuff with your people because of how they'll react uh, just the same as the bad stuff. So it's just been a really great place to feel seen. I also, for my own personal experience, we've, we do a check-in at the beginning of the meeting. Uh, we call it a temperature take. We do it on a scale of rare to well done. Rare meaning juicy, full of life. Well done meaning left on the grill far too long. Um, can't take anymore. And with those check-ins and with the group support, people noticed that I was checking in at medium well consistently for months. And I don't know that I even noticed that. It was the group that that was like, 
So it's been medium well for a while. And that's what led me to finally decide to try um, medication for my anxiety and depression, which was not an easy decision. It took about a year to actually decide and then go through the, the rigmarole of finding the right one. All that's to say, now that I'm on it, I'm I'm almost always a medium rare rare, and nothing's you know really changed. I have the same stresses. It doesn't fix anything, but I feel seen and heard. I was with people who were able to acknowledge what was going on with me and say something. So we're creating a community, and we're able to do that with with each other too. So if we notice somebody's been missing from meetings for a couple of weeks. We don't need them to come back. Maybe they're really busy or doing great, but at least we can check in and say, hey, Adam, it's been a while since I've seen you. How are things going? So it's really, for us, it's about creating that community. I wanted to be clear because the organization is called Chow, which is Culinary Hospitality Outreach Wellness. And I think when someone would hear that first, they think it's only, oh, so it's only for the back of the house. And you guys are only really dealing with say, mental health or substance uh, abuse issues. But what I'm hearing from you is there are all kinds of things that your organization does, like including, you know, helping people get, you know, stretched between rent payments and stuff like that. Where's the funding coming from? Uh, We've got donors, we've got grants, and we're just starting to learn how to do sponsors and partnerships. Cool, because I know that... um, our two organizations, Chef Life Radio and Chow, are not only connected, but we're also connected to this bigger coalition as part of uh, Not 9 to 5. And there's probably, gosh, 40 other organizations that are committed to supporting uh, mental health and wellness in the hospitality industry. And I'm telling you, like when I first started pivoting towards full-time career coaching for chefs in 2014, there was nothing like this. Nothing, nothing. And Jazz, to your point, you know, you were probably the chef that you were trained, chained, and conditioned to be, right? So the hard ass keeping everybody on edge, it's like put up or shut up because uh, we've all had similar experiences. And that became, I think, the expectation, certainly of uh, at least our um, direct supports and often our peers because they were the one that were kind of jeering us on. Uh, Unfortunately, I can remember a time sitting out on the smoke deck and my chef friend sat next to me. He's like, you know, it's not a day until someone cries. <laughs> it's like, and we kind of laughed that off and I felt really saddened by it. But it wasn't necessarily that we were trying to go around and agitate folks. It was just such an extremely stressful environment. And to be frank, some of our, some of our chef managers, you know, weren't really that great with folks. So, and I had to kind of intercede a lot. So there was always somebody to listen to um, because they needed to get it off their chest. So I- We didn't have that training, right? Like I went to culinary school and we never had a how to be a manager training. Uh, Perhaps they have it at some of the, the hospitality schools, but even what I know of that, it's mostly the business aspect. Forgetting that, we're working with humans. Right. I mean, I continue to make the same argument that, you know, very rarely are we, I mean, almost nowhere is there, you know, leadership training for culinary professionals. It's typically, you know, learning how to be a good manager of, of diminishing resources, which is, you know, food, beverage, and labor, but you can't 
you know, you can, you can manage a labor cost, but you, you have to lead people. So applying that same thing. But like you said, if you're not taught, if this is what you see in front of you as you're modeling. And so I'm uh, greatly encouraged that, you know, folks like you two are actually kind of bucking against how you were brought up and said, there's got to be a better way because we all know there is. I think there's also a slow degradation that's kind of passed down. We recently conducted uh, a think tank in the Denver community where we wanted to listen to what was working and what was not in the local food, beverage, and hospitality industry. And one of the things I found most interesting is that somebody shared with us, how do I manage this current workforce that has the old guard, you know, used to work in 18 hours on their feet. I got through it. So you should get through it. And these younger hires who are coming in and have very clear boundaries around their mental health and the time that they're willing to a lot to work. How do I make that? How do I make that work? And so I think our generation is kind of the product of a slow degradation of disincentivizing self-care, right? In order to be really good at my job, I got to show up first and leave last and work on my feet and be fully exhausted in order to be a legitimate professional because we're this band of misfit toys. So it only makes sense that none of us are sober, none of us are rested, none of us have eaten anything, we're surviving on Red Bull, and we're just pushing on this, this idea, which is why I love that Chow is also centered just around the general idea of wellness, right? Did I drink enough water? Am I getting enough sleep? Did I check in with somebody today? Just the the basics of foundational wellness in life. I couldn't agree more. And um, I, Aaron, to your point, you know, that check-in is incredibly important. And I never really understood how important it was until I, until I started doing a lot of men's work, meaning, you know, I had some shit that I had to work on. Um, and I did that uh, specifically uh, sitting in circle with men, um, you know, figuratively around a fire, but, um, I'm blessed to have been kind of introduced to that work here in Asheville. And it's something that's been very, very important to me over the last 10 or 12 years. But, you know, the very first thing is, you know, you create the container and then you sit down and then you check in and that container does not get broken until everybody's done. And one of my suspicions is that that type of methodology can actually be used for standup meetings in an operation. Like, Consciously create a container with everybody, not just haphazard, not just getting everybody around a, a table, but actually consciously cr- co-creating this container in which there's the opportunity to be able to check in. And I'm reminded of Patrick Mulvaney started, um, uh, I got your back when they started, it was his wife put together a shoebox and painted colors on it and had little pieces of paper where people had smiley faces or frowny faces on it and people would put them in the box. And then right during check-in, was like, okay, uh, the temperature of the kitchen seems to be uh, a little medium well. So Yeah, no, um, I, I heard about his after we had ours and I was like, oh, that's so much easier we <laughs> than rare to well done. Because as you said earlier, we're not just for the back of the house. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of us are in the back of the house, but we're chefs, servers, suppliers, bartenders, vendors, Grubhub food drivers. Writers. Yeah. If, if you touch right. food, beverage, hospitality. so. Um, I do get worried that sometimes people won't understand if they're maybe a hostess that's not learned, a vegan hostess that hasn't learned all of the the meat temperatures. But what you're saying is what we're encouraging organizations to do. We we have a workplace wellness toolkit that is a living document that we're going to that we're sharing with anyone who's interested. It's available on our website and it has these tools that we've collected from organizations, things that have worked at 
some restaurant so that folks can try them at their organization, see what works, throw out what doesn't. And one of them is that temperature tech. It costs no money. It takes five minutes and it helps create a little bit more grace, for lack of a better word, through service. So that if I know that Adam isn't intentionally being a dick to me, he's just well done today. <laughs> that's, you know, I, I can give you a little bit more space. <laughs> yeah, I it's, you know, it comes back to this idea of having compassion and grace for one another. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I did not and know. follow this, through, right? Y- yep. And yeah. so that to get back to like the, like, I can't, I just present to how many meetings I held during COVID during the lockdown, because I was working full time at a, at a retirement community and a lot, I spent a lot of time, a lot of time talking and sometimes listening. Um, but I'm pretty clear that if I would have actually started the meeting with a check-in round with everybody, at least there would be an opportunity to hear most of the concerns. Now, Jazz, this conversation that you guys were having in this particular meeting about the conundrum behind, you know, the dinosaur class and the, and the new, <laughs> you know, thinking that it's got to be one way when actually it's showing up the other was there any consensus on on a way forward? Um, so this is the cool thing about Chow, in my opinion. We don't reach a consensus. We exchange information and we try it on for size, right? Because in a lot of things, we're not reinventing the wheel. We look for collaboration. What have you done? Let me pass that on to someone else. So we have this, um, you know, little cans as a telephone system. This is what this person is doing. Why don't you try that? And we give support from A to Z, you know, so you do the check-in. And then when somebody does check in with well done, how do we, what do we do to support that? Because we can't just be checking in with people activating them and then letting them finish their shift. So what does that look like? It might look like, would you like a different station today? Can I make sure to schedule you different breaks throughout your shift if you want to get through it? Because we're all understaffed, we're tired. And so it's not realistic that you're going to, for a lot of business models that you're going to check in with someone, they're going to say, well done, and you can send them home. So what does support look like when you are here, right? Um, So we have not reached a general consensus, but what we did um, kind of sit on the in-between on and talk around, because the conversations are the centerpiece of these changes that we are trying to make, is that listening to each other, right? Because the in-between from the outside, you can observe that the old guard that has now had to um, work for 30 years on their feet, they're exhausted, right? At this point, if you if you pinprick them, Red Bull is coming out of their veins, not blood. <laughs> they can sway right absolutely because it was a rough it was a rough saturday night right Um, (laughs) so they can holy crap oh oh my gosh truth they can they can shift in the direction of this younger generation that's saying work is supposed to pay my rent it is not supposed to sustain me identify me fill my cup completely so i need to take care of myself as well And we can moderate these conversations so that they're listening to each other. And Aaron and I experienced an awesome uh, moment. We recently went to speak to a very large brand and someone expressed the same um, concern on the panel during the Q&A portion of it. And they said, you know, I'm going on 37 years, was it, Aaron, with this company? 37 years and I don't know what to do with this uh, younger generation. And somebody had shared something with me that I shared with them. And I felt the room change. And I said, I'm really sorry that it was like that. 
for you and how wonderful that you get to be a part of the change for someone else. And I think sometimes that old guard wants to be affirmed for how difficult it was and how challenging and you're here. And now you get to, you have almost this responsibility, this role to play in the new generation. And we can, you can be a part of the change. We're not leaving you behind. Hence why I am here, because my suspicion all along has been that the reason why most of the old guard was pissed off when the millennials start showing up, you know, the result. Lots and lots of articles and all this other crap. As a matter of fact, I wrote an article called Are the Millennials Killing the Industry? And the answer was no, um, because actually what they were doing is they were reminding us that these things that they were asking for is universal to all of us. And we actually wanted that when we came in the industry. However, you look around and you see that that's not possible and you kind of just tuck your head. So to a certain point, you know, did any of us, you know, stand for those things that we thought were important or did this thing over here this this identity of being a chef, the permission to run ramp shot and uh, act badly and not have boundaries, you know, was that more appealing than standing for our boundaries and saying, hey, you know, I would really like to make sure that, you know, I'm home on Sunday or whatever that conversation looks like. Because now still there's, like you said, these conversations about like, oh, I can't deal with like, Okay, well, first of all, they're not you. And as long as you're over here, you're not over there with them. And it's not that far of a distance to go. And I get that some chefs would say that bullshit, like you said, I had to do it. So they're going to do it. But the re- the reality is that that's not the industry anymore. And if we don't change, there won't be an industry. I mean, they've already got robots in some places. You know, there's a, there's a lot of mechanical stuff. And, and I am present to the fact that at the pace of technology, there may be, a need for the industry to reckon with the fact that some of these technologies may be necessary if we don't have enough staff coming in. If you don't have full prep crew, it may be a sensible thing from a business standpoint to get some um, technology because the industry or the, or the industries that have been serving the hospitality industry, you know, they've gone from delivering a side of beef to, you know, chef ready in cryovac. Right. And now nobody needs to know how to butcher Nobody needs to know how to, nobody needs to know anything because the, because the support industry has been so clever at being able to say, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. And while it might be a cost savings on the other side, there is a whole legacy that's being missed because really a chef is not, you know, you get a bunch of boxes and cry back on the back dock. Cool. The creative, <laughs> it used to be back in the day that the chef got a half a lamb and he had to make seven meals out of that in order. To, right. So it was how you used everything and those type of skills are lost. And I'm not going to sit here and bemoan that kind of stuff, but the industry is changing and it's important to recognize that. And to know, you know, what people are asking for is not too far out of the realm of, of probability because it's what we wanted. And so giving a little bit might mean that we get a little bit. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, at least for me, I didn't, I didn't know to want any of that. You know, I got into the industry when I was 14 um, I was not thinking about retirement. I was not thinking about time off. I was so excited to be there every day. I got to learn new cocktails. I got to learn about wine. I got, and then I, when I went to the back of the house, learning all these new techniques and about other countries, I didn't, I didn't care that I was missing all these other things. I also didn't know the toll that it was taking on me to work 
80 and 100 hour weeks because I was working two or three jobs because I just wanted to learn more. So I, I think there, like in everything that you just said, there's the, you know, it's not black and white. There's a, a gray area. So I didn't know to want those things, but I wish somebody had been there to be like, hey, hey, kiddo, you're going to want this later. A retirement fund is really cool when you start getting closer to 50. <laughs> <laughs> a four on what? Exactly. exactly. I called it a four one for like right. two years <laughs> until somebody great. corrected me. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't even know what, I don't know what it is. So I can't. Yeah. Aaron, you're absolutely uh, right on the money. And Jazz, to speak to your point that you brought up earlier, I was blessed with having a really old school, crusty guy be my mentor in the very first executive chef position I had, which was a big one out at Arlington Park racetrack outside of Chicago. They had built a, a paramutual two-story building and they put a Ditka's in there. And I got to run that as the executive chef. It was my very first time. And this guy, Ed Jamison, came from the Black Hawk restaurant downtown Chicago from a time when the buyer actually went into the meat market and sat there in the office and had a little scotch with the with the guy and then would go out with his rubber stamp and stamp the sides of beef that were coming. So Ed came from a completely different place than I did. And thank God, because... At first, we couldn't stand one another, and slowly but uh, slowly but surely, we endeared to one another. And it was one of the most impactful relationships I've ever had. And it seemed like throughout my career, at the most kind of possible moment that things could go sideways, there was somebody that was standing there for me as a as a mentor. That's why I come to this place where I, the younger generation doesn't want leadership; they want mentorship. They want someone elbow to elbow with them who recognize them as a full and whole human being and actually share skill and time. And the most amazing conversations can be had when you're just elbow to elbow with somebody on a table, you know, without any agenda, just sliding up there and just. So this idea of mentorship and that you didn't have one speaks to probably you're ready to mentor other people, aren't you? Gosh, I was in my very first six months at Chow. We have this amazing um, mental health course that we offer, and it's uh, by industry professionals for industry professionals. And we all have to take it, right? Before we push anything out, the cool thing about Chow is that before we push something out, we've all got to experience it. So I'm sitting in my first time teaching this mental health course, and somebody from a culinary school in Minnesota was like, we have a mentorship program. You need to come in and talk to these students. It took this man probably about 90 emails to even get me to consider it because I was like, absolutely not. I am mm -hmm. still in remission from my toxic personality and I'm in a, in a journey of emotional recovery and I cannot be around people. I think Chow has taught me, Chow and the people at Chow, the, the community at Chow has taught me so much about being able to share, like you're saying, elbow to elbow. And it has grossly, grossly improved my quality of life. I, I did want to say, I was thinking as, as the both of you were, were sharing, one of the things that we learn and that we pass on in this uh, mental health course is this big question of, do people come to us broken or did we break them? right? Because one of the, the things that I evaluated about myself leaving the industry is I thought I had these excellent elbow to elbow connections. You know, this was my first chef and that was my first sous chef. And then I was like, 
oh, so I just have a lot of trauma bonds with people. So we just sat and trauma bonded over how awful it all was. We just kind of kept egging each other on. And in this course, I figured out that not only are we, so the hospitality industry ranks number one in the last couple of years in substance misuse, right? So when you have high numbers like that, you got to kind of take a lens and, and focus in on what's happening here. Are there pre-existing mental health conditions? Are people really just walking in with a knife roll and a book or is there more to it? And are we, what issues, what mental health challenges are being cushioned by the way that we work, Right. And that's an experience that resonates for me because I didn't know for years I was diagnosed with high functioning anxiety as an adult. For the first 30 years of my life, I thought I was a really great performer. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm showing up first. My prep list is done in the first 30 minutes of my shift. You know, I've got like five minute counts, you know, we're on the line screaming and the line, the timing is always perfect. And then I'm like, the better... I do professionally the worse I feel at the end of the day and and the more, you know, these stomach issues are ramping up and that shift drink has turned into five. And what is, and these people that I'm hanging out with outside of work, all we're really doing is just complaining about work. Right. We're not having genuine human exchanges. So what's happening here? Turns out, spoiler alert, it was high functioning anxiety and being a chef. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you bring a great point and uh, um, an interesting polarity. Um, I have, um, two coaching clients right now. One is a very high functioning, an amazing pastry chef who experienced, you know, not only racism, but also misogyny in the industry so much so that she had to leave. Um, her marriage broke down and she is back to on her path from wellness. And through our conversation, I was just curious. I'm like, so like, the industry is such that there's instant gratification that occurs all the time. So that's got to attract a certain type of person. And I'm not saying they're broken, but I'm saying that maybe we all had a little need uh, for some of that juice. And it turned out that she had had some previous trauma that she wasn't like, it was so painful that she didn't necessarily want to connect to it. And I, and I can appreciate that. And I have another client who I'm working with spent uh, time with yesterday um, who for most of his career was a pretty capable young man until he worked for a chef that would uh, actually a sous chef chef de cuisine i'm sorry who would berate him verbally and threaten him physically and that was the, one, the first time that he ever suffered a panic attack and now he's had him ever since and so he's trying to gather himself back up connect to a sense of his own self-worth and and purpose and so that he can hold his head high because at the same time there are the stresses going on in his primary relationship because, of course, he doesn't want to bother anybody. He doesn't want to tell anybody how bad it is. He wants to just kind of work it out. And I said, well, that's nice. Um, how's that working for you? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's a great question for, for everyone in the industry. Anytime they have a big emotion or reaction, what you're, what you're doing, how's that working for you? Right, 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 right. And it's it's not like I want to turn things around, but in my particular neck of the woods, you know, the key to having a truly successful career is to, to become a mature professional, own your shit and do your work. I mean, it's as simple as that, because as long as we can stand around and point the finger at everybody else and the owners or the industry and carpet in our shit um, and gathering together with other people who will only support that viewpoint, jazz to your, like, 
I don't give a shit what industry bar I've ever gone into, but it is not a happy place at about two o'clock in the way. It fucking sucks. Everybody's pissed off or griping about something. And that's, I got to a point where I just could not be around. That's why I don't watch news anymore. I just cannot have that shit in my field. So quick question. Love the mission. Love how you guys are shifting the entire conversation out there. Can I just, just can I zoom in? Can I, do I have to be in Denver to go to a meeting? You can zoom in from anywhere in the world. See, now you don't have any excuse, chef. Yep. You can also, you can also <laughs> call in. We've got a, a telephone number as well. Right. Yeah. But the point being is that it's not specific to that particular geographical nope. area. You're no. up to changing the whole game. Uh, and can I add to that is that uh, you asked Aaron before, what are the challenges that we face? One mm -hmm. of the challenges is that not everybody's having the same conversation, right? This restaurant over here is talking about uh, staff uh, completing suicide. This hotel over here is just barely talking about people being overworked. And this food newspaper over here is just you know, towing in. So th this is one of the challenges where people are in the conversation, but Chow is resilient and we're getting clever. So we're figuring out how do we get this information out to people? So let's say that coming in person was a challenge. Well, now we've got Zoom. Let's say Zoom is a challenge. Well, now we've got the phone. Let's say you're not ready to show anybody your face. Show up with your microphone off and with your camera off and just listen. We have a person who's attended our meetings for months and has not said a word and just listens. Uh, if you're not ready for that, just read our wellness blog. If you're not ready for that, why don't you read our inspirational ways uh, to engage in acts of self-service on Instagram? You're not ready for that? Why don't you watch a 30-second TikTok? You're not ready for that? Why don't you post anonymously on our Facebook group? So we found ways to be so resilient to meet people where they're at so that they're it's not so much that we're saying there's no excuse for you to not try. We're saying wherever you are in this journey, we'll meet you where we're at. However, you can take those small tidbits. We've got a way to get them to you because you deserve support as well, even though you might not be ready to show up to a meeting. I was trying to think of how we were going to tie this all up, but I don't think there's, there's anything better than that. <laughs> but, I, but I do want to say, um, Chef... If you're listening to this right now and you're feeling triggered because we've talked a lot about stuff and you're probably a little anxious, feeling probably a little shame, guilt, remorse, okay, that's fine. Now do something about it because your guilt and your shame will keep you hidden and away and separate from other people, which is where all the action is. So chowco.org, C-H-O-W-C-O dot O-R-G. I'm actually going to, on the website, there's actually going to be a link to uh, the Workplace Wellness Toolkit PDF as well in the show notes uh, for the show. And um, when am I going to be on? We're going to be on next next month, November when? November 14th. November 14th. Zoom in. Call. Don't show your face. It's fine. I'll know you're there anyway. <laughs> Ladies, any last words? This has been uh, incredibly illuminating. Um, and I feel really invigorated because prior to getting on the call, I was fe feeling a little beat down. You know, not everything, you know, everything's going good, but it's just like, <sighs> and uh, and talking to you, I feel, well, first off, reconnected to you both and energized by our conversation. And I feel like, like, yeah, we can do this. We can do it. I think in general, we all have to admit that it's a really hard time to be a human right now. There have been a lot of challenges worldwide and they just it seems like the hits just keep on coming, especially for our industry. It's really hard to be a human right now and it's okay to get help. 
Absolutely. And can I add, Adam, if you don't mind, we're coming in on what we recognize as a very activating time for most mainstream parts of our community. Um, November, December, January, we, we mimic the bipolar, you know, up and down train of booking events back to back and then slow period. So we're doing an awesome holiday series. Uh, there are Sundays at 5 p.m. Mountain Central time. Um, and they are going to be specifically given you tools so that you can not just survive the holidays, uh, the holiday season coming up, but thrive through them with community. So if anyone needs extra support during this time, Sundays at 5 p.m., we are absolutely there with skills and resources to bolster you through this really historically challenging time of the year for hospitality industry professionals, workers. I commend you on the work that you're doing, the fact that you've gotten involved, that you've been doing your own uh, own healing journey as well. And I feel very honored to be connected to your organization. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Tasman. Love it. Thanks, Adam. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. That's it for this episode of Chef Life Radio. If you're ready to take your career to the next level, then sign up for a free discovery call and find out what's possible for you at cheflifecoaching.com forward slash services. And the link is in the show notes. Here at Chef Life Radio, we believe that working in a kitchen should be demanding. It just shouldn't have to be demeaning. It should be hard, just doesn't have to be harsh. We believe that it's possible to have more solidarity and less suck it up sunshine, more compassion, less cutthroat island. We believe in more partnership and less put up or shut up, more family and less fuck you. Stand tall and frosty brothers and sisters, but consider for a moment all the blood, sweat, and effort you put into what you do at the end of the day, it's just some stuff on a plate. None of it really matters, doesn't define you as a person or make you any more special or less than anyone else. It's just a dance that we're engaged in, so we might as well laugh and enjoy every bit of it. Or didn't you know that the purpose of your life should be to enjoy it? Like it, Hefe, I fucking love it. I am humble. Goddamn glorious box that I don't live on now. <laughs> Reach out to the show at facebook.com forward slash Chef Life Radio, Twitter at Chef Life Radio, Instagram at Chef Life Radio. Visit the website at chefliferadio.com. Subscribe to the podcast at any of the major podcasts directories. Please take a moment and give us a thumbs up and write a review. It really does help spread the news. Thanks for listening. Until the next episode, be well and do good. This episode was produced by me, Adam Lamb. It was recorded in the Basement Bunker studio in Bardo, North Carolina. Co-produced by Thomas Stephenson of podlike.com. Chef Life Radio is a production of Realignment Media.